This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. In the middle of last month, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau made a snap announcement. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau on Sunday called an early election for September 20th. Canadians deserve their say. That's exactly what we're going to give them. But as election day approaches, Trudeau's plan for a new mandate may be about to backfire. If he were to lose, it would go down as one of the biggest miscalculations in Canadian political history. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Callum MacDonald. Today, the rise and possible fall of Justin Trudeau. In Canada, you'll have cities, dead suburbs, and then all of a sudden it will become extremely rural. Charlie Mitchell is the Canada correspondent for The Times and The Sunday Times. The difference is that those rural areas are not necessarily conservative as they might be in other places. They tend to be swing voters, and that's certainly the case in Carp. Carp is a semi-rural community, about a 45-minute drive to the west of Canada's capital city, Ottawa. It has these enormous family homes at the end of long driveways off tree-lined avenues. There is farmland just minutes away. It feels when you're there very much like a conservative stronghold. But what's interesting about Carp is that it falls within a prime bellwether constituency. Once a conservative stronghold, in 2015, it helped sweep Justin Trudeau's Liberal Party into power. It is vital if Justin Trudeau is to stay in power, let alone win a majority, that he wins the constituency which contains Carp. And so I wanted to go there to see how people were feeling to try and test the mood. I wasn't really prepared for the amount of dissatisfaction that I found towards Justin Trudeau. If he loses Carp, it probably will herald the start of a conservative wave, which would end his six years in power on the 20th of September. Imagine you're driving out of Ottawa, westward along the Trans-Canada Highway. You leave Ottawa, which is a modern city. It's a political capital. And you go to Kanata, which is an enormous suburb. The suburb is densely populated. It's got baseball diamonds and football fields and large churches. And it's crisscrossed by these highways, as a lot of North American cities are. You drive down the highway with the churches to your left and right and suddenly it becomes more rural. You have large fields of corn. You have industrial estates with loads of cars parked outside. You then reach these small communities like Carp, which has a fairly bucolic feel to it. 
it has a small village center really with cafes and and restaurants and then you turn right or left and you get these long very beautiful avenues lined with trees with these enormous homes and a lot of lawn signs many of them conservative the average age of people in cop is fairly old so there are a lot of people sunning themselves on their lawns or their porches one such person was patricia i approached her by walking across her lawn which was quite well maintained she was too happy about that so i skirted back and went up the driveway instead my mistake i said hi there i'm from the sunday times and i'd like to talk to you about the election if that's okay she was skeptical at first but very quickly opened up when i said you know perhaps we could start by how do you feel about justin trudeau she said how long do you have she is very disenchanted with the prime minister she said that she is a fiscal conservative and is worried about the debt from the government spending during the pandemic she wants someone with a bit of common sense she said she quite fancies Erin O'Toole the conservative leader Justin Trudeau's made political rival who is a former air force officer she very much liked that she said you know Canada's a wonderful country but she wants a prime minister who is intent on keeping it that way she says she does not believe Justin Trudeau is a man of integrity now you couldn't really find a voter as different from patricia as another carp resident charlie spoke to that same day named kadim so kadim is 29 years old he was standing by his car marshalling a group of five volunteers he is talkative and open and very personable and and very warm and excellent at political stump speeches. Kadeem actually almost had a future prime minister vibe. He is probably exactly the kind of young, politically active, engaged voter that Justin Trudeau should appeal to. But actually Kadeem is knocking on doors for the left-wing New Democrats, and he is desperate to get Justin Trudeau out of power too, just like Patricia. He said, I just feel like a lot of what he says is an act. We need politicians we can trust. I spent an hour and a half or so with Kadeem knocking on doors and we hit a lot of houses. And I have to say in an hour and a half, I did not find one decided liberal voter. You couldn't really find two different, very different people than Kadeem and Patricia, and yet what they were saying was remarkably similar. Let's continue our journey. Nearly a five-hour trip from Ottawa is a western province of Canada called Alberta. It's the land of big oil and small government. Charlie travelled there too to speak to voters all about Justin Trudeau. There, they're absolutely seething with him. I mean, it's a conservative stronghold. But they really could not be angrier, and I went to a rodeo. Here we go, come on, Kate! Like a really local rodeo, just fascinating with eight-year-olds being bucked off horses to cheers from the crowd, and women, ranch girls, they were called, racing around barrels on horses. And the announcer was running through the list of upcoming horses. And he said, how about a scary one like Justin Trudeau and everyone booed? And then he said, Don't worry, sir, you can't fix stupid, but you can sure vote it out. You can't fix stupid, but you can sure vote it out. 
and there were cheers as well. And that was like being in another world. It's where all the oil comes from in Canada. Canada's the fourth largest oil producer in the world, but it has had a load of difficulties getting its product to market because of the pipeline capacity. And that as a result, Alberta fell into a recession. Everyone blamed Justin Trudeau for that because he's an environmentalist who walks at climate rallies. And people there say that their way of life and their livelihoods are are under threat and they blame the prime minister for it. And they really are extremely angry. The interesting thing about this election and the growing anger, the febrile atmosphere all over the country, is that this particular election wasn't really necessary. But it was something PM Justin Trudeau called just a couple of weeks ago, back in August. We've known for months that he wanted to call an election. He was riding high in the polls as a result of his very strong pandemic response. Canadians deserve their say. That's exactly what we're going to give them. In his speech when he called the election, he said that Canadians deserve a choice in who is going to lead them out of the pandemic. The government and indeed parliament needs an opportunity to get a mandate from Canadians to hear from Canadians on how to end this pandemic, how to build back better in really meaningful ways. One of the examples is that, you know, we want vaccine mandates and the Conservatives do not, you know, it's a choice that Canadians have to make. The problem is every aspect of his agenda was sailing through Parliament, including vaccine mandates. So when he says that the idea of Conservatives repealing vaccine mandates on trains and planes scares him to death as a father of children who cannot be yet be vaccinated because they're not 12 years old yet, it falls flat because the easiest way to ensure that Conservatives don't do that is to not call an election and simply implement those policies which have broad support in Parliament. He has found it really difficult to respond to the question of why we need an election. People are either fed up and want to move past it and enjoy their summer, or they're still not back on their feet. And the very last thing they want to be doing now is having to think about who they want to elect. So for that reason, it could massively, massively backfire. And if he were to lose, given that he had five-point polling lead beforehand and that finds himself behind, it would go down as one of the biggest miscalculations in Canadian political history. Time now for a crash course in the Canadian political system. It's the same system as ours. The difference, I suppose, in Canada is that they almost never do coalitions. As a result, then, minority governments are not unusual in Canada. Trudeau's predecessor, Stephen Harper, leader of the Conservative Party and in power for 10 years, ran two minority governments. And it's a particular problem for Justin Trudeau right now. And one of the reasons he called this snap election because he had to form a minority government after the 2019 election. He does not have enough votes on his own to pass any legislation, so he relies on the support of the New Democrats and the Green Party and occasionally the pro-independence Bloc Québécois to pass legislation because Canada doesn't really do coalitions. There is an assumption that the government will fight on for 18 months and then call an election, and it's very common for... Prime Ministers to see where the polling is, and if they have a big enough lead, they jump and they call an election. The, you know, a good sign of that right now is that the, this election is the shortest campaign permittable by law. So 
clearly Trudeau was concerned that, that, you know, something could happen on the campaign or, or if he made it too long, there might be an opportunity or a window for his opponents to do well and for him to fall behind. But it turns out that 37 days is long enough for his poll leads to evaporate for the opposition to come flying back. To understand just how Canada reached this political point, it's best to know a little bit more about the man at its centre. Conservatives complain that running against Justin Trudeau is not like running against a politician, it's like running against a celebrity. He has phenomenal name recognition because his father was a very popular Canadian Prime Minister, Pierre Elliott Trudeau. I have accepted the strong appeal of the National Liberal Caucus and the National Liberal Executive, and I will lead our party in the current election campaign. He is a liberal progressive icon across the world. He's one of the most famous world leaders. His facial hair and socks and everything enthralled people. When he won in 2015, he was blasted across magazine covers all across the world. He is phenomenally famous and he has always been in this public spotlight. One of Justin Trudeau's earliest appearances in the public spotlight was in the year 2000, at the televised funeral of his father, former popular Prime Minister Pierre Elliott Trudeau. To me, he was dad. (laughs) And what a dad. He loved us with a passion and a devotion that encompassed his life. The funeral was televised was at a cathedral in Montreal. Justin Trudeau delivered a eulogy which melted a million hearts. He taught us to believe in ourselves, to stand up for ourselves, to know ourselves. He finished with the the words, Je t'aime papa. Je t'aime papa. And it's kind of his arrival on the national scene in Liberal Party HQ, they started to take notice. Previous jobs saw Trudeau try various hats, nightclub bouncer, river raft operator, drama teacher. After the funeral in 2000, things went quiet for a while. And then in 2010, Canada lost an election for a non-permanent seat on the United Nations Security Council which was seen as a bit of a national embarrassment. It was the first time that had happened. They lost to Portugal. And a lot of pundits blamed Stephen Harper, the the conservative incumbent, who had said some things about Muslims and the climate and the environment that had caused him to be protested internationally, including in London, actually, when he visited. And that didn't sit very well with Canadians. Meanwhile, Trudeau, by this time, was kind of rising through the ranks of the Liberal Party, having won the seat of Papineau, which is a working-class Quebec constituency, in 2008. But despite his father's good reputation across Canada, and his father had his critics, but he was completely formidable, and he was actually described by one of his lovers, Barbara Streisand, as a mix between Marlon Brando and Napoleon. And he was just an absolute force of nature, a really fierce and formidable character. Meanwhile, Justin Trudeau, scrawny Justin Trudeau, was seen as the Paris Hilton of Canadian politics, quite literally. And there's this moment in 2012 where everything changes. It is now time to walk the walk. 
And that's where Justin Trudeau steps into the, a boxing ring for a charity boxing match against Patrick Brazo, who was a young indigenous conservative senator and a black belt in karate. He is a tough guy. His life has been physical. I think he's been in more fights, well, in a month than Trudeau has in in a life. Who was widely tipped to defeat Trudeau handsomely. Opponents from the red corner. 180 pounds. The Papadol pugilist. Please welcome Justin Trudeau. He's wearing liberal red, of course. I call him. But that didn't actually happen. After a very shaky start, I must say, I will rewatch this. The bell's gone. Trudeau going with the jab first. Brazo avoiding it. Kind of lanky Trudeau manages to wear out his opponent. Brazo's holding on to the ropes. Now he's just coming in the, the corner, punch. just taking the punches. Oh, One, two, three, four, five. The ref is stepping in. Oh. Just a straight punch in the face. And Brazo's nose looking like it's starting to bleed. And he emerges after three rounds victorious, leaving Brazo with a bloody nose, surprising everyone. Justin Trudeau, congratulations on a fight well fought. Thank you. Suddenly, the real lightweight Trudeau had an edge. As a former advisor told me that the boxing match became symbolic of something with bigger, which was his tenacity. It's not just about Jazzercise or Tybo, he can actually deliver a punch. Okay. I can see the blood on Trudeau's gloves. Coming up, Justin Trudeau's meteoric rise in Canadian politics begins. But first... Hi, I'm George Abuffnot, the deputy editor of the Sunday Times Insights Investigations team. It's you, the listeners and subscribers who enable the Insight team to investigate the government's response to the pandemic. Get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. If you subscribe today, you can enjoy one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Justin Trudeau's surprise win in the boxing ring in 2012 marked a pivotal moment in his political trajectory. From that point forward, there was momentum. He won the Liberal Party leadership one year later in 2013, and two years later in 2015, he uh, won the Canadian general election, beating Stephen Harper, winning a thumping majority, having taken the Liberal Party from a distant third place to victory stunning the Canadian political establishment, gained 148 seats at that election for the Liberal Party. Even days before, the pundits were writing him off, and they were sure that he would win, and of course he did. The 2015 election is so interesting because it pulls together so much of what you've mentioned, both in terms of Canadian politics and in terms of Trudeau globally. You know, I was having a think about chatting to you today, Charlie, and I was like, I couldn't tell you who the Canadian Prime Minister was before Justin Trudeau. I'd have to look that up. Whereas all of a sudden he becomes this massive political figure around the world and is really like on the map as the Prime Minister of Canada. So he wins that election. He brings the Liberal Party with him from the, the brink of, of collapse. Was that a time of great sort of optimism, I suppose, in Canada? 
Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It was a, it was Canada's back. It was suddenly a very pro-immigration Canadian government. He went and met Syrian refugees on the tarmac when they arrived in Canada and took 50,000 immediately. He legalized marijuana, which was a very big deal. He promised electoral reform essentially to move past the system that we have in Britain and in Canada to make it more representative so that small parties like the Greens don't get pushed out by big ones. He promised a feminist foreign policy. He was asked why he had a gender-balanced cabinet. Why was that so important to you? Because it's 2015. <laughs> Which became a very famous lie. This was a new type of Canada. And it's interesting that they had a Conservative Prime Minister for 10 years because provinces are very different. As I said, Alberta at the Prairies, very conservative. But, you know, Stephen Harper was quite a divisive figure. He was, he was very rigid and inflexible. He was a very wide political operator. And Justin Trudeau was really something very fresh and exciting. He got young people really interested in politics again. He is uncommonly good looking for a world leader as well, which definitely would have helped. While the Conservatives were whinging about deficits, Trudeau said that we should do deficit spending to reawaken the economy. He was well briefed. He's very charismatic. I've seen him numerous times and his values are similar to a lot of other Canadians, but it didn't take very long for that kind of sheen to wash off. As the years progressed then, that shiny image of a progressive leader began to disintegrate. His liberal image has been tarnished by ethics scandals and by the blackface scandal, which was awful. The blackface scandal is in fact three separate scandals. Good morning. A video uncovered by Global News containing images of Liberal leader Justin Trudeau in blackface makeup. The third image of him within about 12 hours that has come out. These are the images that have Justin Trudeau saying he's sorry. They're from an event in 2001 when as a high school teacher he was part of a gala with an Arabian Nights theme. Other images, including a grainy video, have also emerged of Trudeau in similar makeup, reportedly in high school in the 1990s. But these are not the only incidents that have damaged his reputation. Various inconsistencies in his policies, you know, on the climate, on human rights, on Saudi Arabia. And essentially, at its core, Canadians think two things. First of all, that he overpromised and underdelivered. And secondly, that he's not genuine and that he will do anything to get your vote. And that is the main thing that I'm hearing during this election. Those ethics scandals that you mentioned, you mentioned Saudi Arabia, for example, none of them have toppled him thus far. How has he survived the storm up until this election? Good question. So it, it really comes down to his opponent. In 2019, he was chastened. However, he was running against a man called Andrew Scheer, who was the conservative leader who was phenomenally socially conservative. Speaking to people on election day in 2019, the mood was, look, I've, I'm kind of fed up with Justin Trudeau, but there's absolutely no way I can let Andrew Scheer wit. I have to say, Charlie, all the way through this, considering Trudeau's, where he's come from, where he's at now, the calling of a snap election, it, some of it 
feels like echoes of what's happened in the UK in the last few years. Theresa May's snap election failing miserably for her, not securing any sort of position for her at all, and, and just the kind of chaos, the febrile atmosphere that you described earlier is so interesting because it does feel reminiscent of what we have lived through in the last few years, albeit probably for different reasons. And I think it's important for us to find out now what issues have dominated the campaign so far. So we've we've mentioned that early on it was Trudeau getting getting belted for, you know, this is a political move. And that, that seems to be something that's cutting through. What else are, are people really focusing on and pointing out throughout this campaign? Healthcare is a big thing. The Canadian healthcare system is good, but outdated. Canada does not have universal free pharmacare, which is prescription drugs. So people spend a lot of money on their prescriptions. The New Democrats are desperate to change that and they've introduced a lot of free diverse farm care into their plat. Trudeau, worried about losing votes on the left, has vowed to consider you taking steps to work towards that. Other issues are Afghanistan, which dominated the early part of the campaign, actually, with the chaotic withdrawal. Canada evacuated 3,700 people for Afghanistan, but there were many more left behind and they received an email or text messages from the Canadian government saying essentially hide and wait. People are really worried about affordable housing. They're really worried about remaining months of the pandemic and, and how they're going to get their children back to school safely and that kind of thing. The interesting thing is this hasn't really been an election about big ideas, despite Trudeau hoping to make it one. It's become one about his record. What pundits and, and strategists say is that the Trudeau of 2015, who was hopeful and offering something different for Canadians, has gone. And now this is a campaign of sort of really a little bit of fear and division. There are other issues that matter a lot to people which haven't come up as much as they should, like Indigenous reconciliation. Canada's having a reckoning over its colonial past right now because Indigenous groups found over 1,000 unmarked graves at former residential schools, which are these schools run by the Catholic Church where Indigenous children were forcibly assimilated into white society between 1867 and 1996. Completely unacceptable, clearly, and a lot of people want serious action taken for Indigenous people. Again, it comes back to Trudeau's records. He promised in 2015 that he would provide clean drinking water to all Indigenous communities in Canada. That has not happened. 32 of them still lack it. I went to one of the two months ago to the Mohawks of the Bay of Quinte. People are queuing, 100 people queuing at a tap via bathroom in a park on their reserve to get water to take it home. In Canada in 2021, clearly not acceptable. There's also the issue of China. Canada has a really, really bad relationship with China after having arrested a Huawei executive in 2019 on a US war arrest warrant. In re retaliation, China detained two Canadians, Michael Spavor and Michael Kovrig. They are still in jail, having been tried for espionage. There are issues which haven't come up as much as they should because the thrust of the election has been essentially from everyone, Justin Trudeau's failed you, um, vote for us instead. Nowhere was that more apparent than in the country's leadership debates last week. There were two debates, one French language, one English language, with all the leaders, Justin Trudeau, Erin O'Toole, Jagmeet Singh, who's the New Democratic Party leader, as well as the Green leader and the Bloc Québécois leader. And they essentially all rounded on Trudeau and attacked him savagely all night for his record. 
Canada's voice has been absent, Mr. Trudeau. We have not worked with our allies on Huawei. We have not stood up for the 300,000 Canadians in Hong Kong. We've not fought for the two Michaels, and we have to get serious with China. China and Afghanistan, electoral reform, ethics. It was an uncomfortable couple of nights for the Prime Minister. I think it was his big chance to essentially convince Canadians that they should re-elect him. Instead, he was kind of up against the ropes so much of the time. With all of that in mind, Charlie, I wonder if if I'm being too naive, too simplistic and reducing this far too much to say that actually the people of Canada, frankly, they've just fallen out of love with Trudeau. His time's up. That's it. He's done. Well, his supporters say that you should never write him off. That he is at his best when his back is against the wall. He did manage to get through blackface and three ethics violations in 2019 to still cling desperately onto power, which was quite a feat. I mean, it's hard to think of that many politicians that would survive three photos of them wearing blackface most recently in their early 30s. So I think it's probably too soon to write him off. The question really is, do centrists and and liberal-minded voters and left-wing voters, young people, do they vote? And do they feel in the last couple of days of the campaign that the Conservatives are getting close enough that they are really at risk of forming government? And do they then just, in order to keep the Conservatives at bay, as they did in 2019, do they then just come out and, and tick the Liberal box? And that's the big question. That's something that we really won't know until Election Day. My guess at this point would be that Trudeau might scrape through with an even smaller minority government. That would be really humiliating, given that he chose the timing of the election and thought he was going to roar to a majority. Clearly hadn't dawned on him quite how fed up most Canadians were with him. And he said that if there is another minority government, then Canada would have another election 18 months later. That's a big swing to go from Trudeau to the Conservatives. If they do or they don't vote, he's in big trouble. But it's pretty early to, to, to say that he's definitely going to lose. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Callum MacDonald, and my guest today was Canada correspondent for The Times and The Sunday Times, Charlie Mitchell. You can find all of Charlie's work at thetimes.co.uk. The producer today was Leona Hamid. The executive producer today was James Shield, and sound design was by Vulcan Kiseltug. If you have a story you think we should be covering, an idea for a future episode, or any thoughts on what you've just heard as well, we would love to hear from you. Send us an email. The address you need is storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. Drop us a line. We'll read it. We'll get back to you. See you again soon. <laughs>